So here I am reading this book and it is really getting me to understand a whole new side of thinking and how to approach wisdom. And I look up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am reading a book written by a spy. Hey, this is Michelle Spyman. I want to welcome you to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. And so I want to have you join me after the flip where, yes, giggles and squeals, I have the author of A Spy's Guide to Thinking, to Strategy, and now his newest book, To Taking Risks. I want to help you. I want you to help me welcome Mr. John Braddock. I'll see you on the flip. Hi, John. I am so excited. Hello. How are you? And thank you for joining me today on today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. I'm good. I'm good, Michelle. Great to be with you. Great. So first, I want to start off uh, by introducing people a little bit to who you are and try to keep contain myself so that I don't, you know, totally fangirl out. Um, but you guys, today I have the pleasure of, of having a conversation with Mr. John Braddock. And for those of you who don't know him, you need, to, you need this man's work in your life. He was a case officer for the CIA, and uh, he hasn't stopped there. He is now a, 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 a a strategy consultant, and in his background, he was a university research fellow. So I want you to understand that the way he approaches things is both theoretical as well as what we talk about, you know, in my podcast, the street smarts and the wisdom of doing things. And so he has helped people and organizations, and he has a best-selling series called A Spy's Guide Too. And uh, you've heard me talk about him on other podcasts. And guess what, y'all? I got him. He's here. As you can tell, he is here today. So I really want to just get started and um, get some of this good wisdom uh, from you. So, John, let me ask you real quick. How in the world did you start with uh, moving from being a university academic to becoming a spy in the field? Well, you know, a lot of these events in our lives, you look back and you you kind of wonder yourself how exactly you got where you are. For me, I was in a, I had already been a university research fellow. I was in a PhD program and I was in a continuing academia, but I really wanted to understand the world in a different way before. And if I, you know, were to go talk to students about how the world is for the rest of my life. So I, uh, I was, I decided to take the foreign service exam, which is for State Department admission. And um, after passing that, you know, to become a diplomat, a friend said, you know, have you thought about, have you thought about working for the CIA? You do similar things, but you live overseas and you, you're on the street and you you have to live by your wits. And I said, oh, you know, that's kind of interesting. So that friend happened to know the CIA's head of recruitment and invited CIA's head of recruitment over to talk to me and my wife. And uh, in that conversation, <laughs> I, you know, said, hey, this is who I am, this is what I do. 
Henry Krugman said, oh, you know, that's kind of interesting. And then she turned to my wife and said, hey, uh, what about you? And my wife said, well, you know, I speak three languages. I've worked overseas. I got a degree in psychology. And the Henry Krugman switched completely from me to my wife. She was much more interested in talking to my wife than to me. Uh, but then my wife wasn't, you know, we went to some information sessions and my wife decided it wasn't for her. And uh, I managed to convince them that I would do an okay job. So I got through uh, all the recruitment process, went to training, and, um, you know, that's where I found my analytic background really useful because in training, you, you do a lot of role playing, you do a lot of, you know, you're in this situation, and what do you do? How do you react? And, you know, most of us build our mental frameworks through practice. You, you know, you just go in and you do, you do it. And if it works, great. You keep doing it. If it doesn't work, you try something new. Well, you know, in the spy world, that's difficult. That's really difficult because if you make a mistake, you're, you know, you're arrested, you're jailed, you may be killed. So having some analytic frameworks that help you get to the right answer quickly is really helpful. But not only that, having the ability to develop those mental frameworks very quickly based on minimal experience, that's even more valuable. So that's what I try to do in these books is give the reader a mental framework that they can apply and it's these are very bare bones like the the framework in thinking a spy's guide to thinking is is just four points and it's built on the ooda loop some of your listeners may be familiar with that from colonel john boyd or ooda loop some people call it but uh, i've updated it to data collection leads to analysis which leads to a decision and then to action and within that framework, you can do a whole lot of things. You can, you can figure out where your problems are. If you're in an organization, you can figure out if you need to focus on getting better data or having better analysis, or maybe your decision makers aren't the right people, or maybe execution isn't happening. But if you're an individual, you know, you're responsible for all four of those. You're responsible for collecting data, for making sure you have the right mental frameworks, and uh, getting to the right decision so you can take the best action. And then in the strategy book, you know, we go there with a different framework. And then in the risk book that you just recently read, there's a, a third framework to help people think backwards. And that's a, that's a theme throughout my books is the best way to think is to get to the end and work backwards. Right. I like that. And that is what I believe really resonates with a lot of people. And as you are saying in the buildup, I do see uh, the synergy between the different books uh, that lead a person to a more robust understanding of these uh, frameworks that we're talking about. Now, one of the things that I did start to, start to notice a little bit more in this book, as opposed to like the first one uh, with thinking, uh, because that one is reminiscent of this one where you start us off in a situation 
on a, I believe it was a bus or a train, and this guy is going to try to pickpocket you or steal your phone uh, in, the, in the thinking one. Uh, but in this one, it's like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm in an actual movie. You get into a car accident right off the bat, and from there, that's where your mental framework seemed to really kick in. And when I was reading it, I had this question. And, uh, and let me just say this. You did say something that was very profound to me as I was reading it. You talked about risk and you talked about how it's taught, but then you talked about the essence of it and you said something profound. You said, risk is a feeling. And it was a nice setup because I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh, he was in a real accident. You even talk about how your organs shifted when you hit the other side of the of the uh, car. Can you take me through um, the processing of all of these things that you have been reverse engineering using inversion strategy and all of that kind of stuff, uh, having to think and risk when you're in a car that has been mangled and crushed up and you're still having to get to your designated meeting or assignment. Yeah, that's where, you know, when you're in a really risky situation, you, you go back to what you know. And you don't have time for very complex, you know, algorithmically driven computational calculations. You, you've got to be able to make the calculations in your head. And so that's why, you know, the frameworks I use in all the books are very simple. They're simple because I didn't have a calculator. I didn't have a computer that I could punch data into. I had to, you know, think through these things in a, um, in a simple way because that's all I can do. That's all I can do. That's what all, all, quite frankly, most people can do. And then, you know, people who are in academia or, or don't know academia may may know that they're also, you know, even in academia, people are using very simple frameworks a lot of time. They just dress it up as very complex because that's how you, <laughs> that's how you get tenure, right? That's how you get, uh, you know, it's by confusing people a lot of times. But my job is not, to, you know, my job is to make things simple because I'm working backwards from the action. I'm working backwards from the action to the decision I need to make. And, uh, you know, often we have to make that, that process and we have to make that decision very quickly. We have to make sure we get through it very quickly. So um, in, the, in the book, yeah, that's, when you're a spy, you're, you're making all these calculations and these, you know, quite frankly, life-altering decisions very quickly. In the risk book, we start off with, what happened to me that day being in a car accident and then trying to figure out if surveillance is on me and being surrounded by the border patrol while I'm an alias. So all these situations, you're, you're, you're weighing pros and cons and you're coming down to very simple binary decisions. You know, do you continue or do you stop? Do you go left or do you go right? Do you take decision, you take option A, you take option B. A lot of times that's what it comes down to. And you have to, you have to make the right choice and you have to do it quickly. 
I really liked how you handled explaining that in such a way that the average person would find it interesting and enlightening. And you talked about how risk really comes down to different probabilities. And your examples and uh, the illustrations that you gave in the book of the different variables that you were working with really went smoothly um, into what you were doing. And one of the things that um, I noted now, you had said it in a in uh, the strategy book, I believe, uh, where you, you kind of like took the sugar out of everybody's cake when they think about a spy. You were like, in the field, you need to do what works. You don't have time for fancy gadgets. And I, I was like, because oh, I wanted, I, I wanted that yeah. world, <laughs> but you weren't giving it. Yeah, to yeah, no fancy, fancy gadgets are great in the movies, but when your life is on the line, you know, do you want to trust something that might not work? Uh, you know, even something that has a ninety-five percent probability of working, that means it doesn't work one out of twenty times. And if you're going to do it more than twenty times, which you do when you're a spy. That means you're gonna, you know, it's gonna fail. You get, you're, you're guaranteed to fail at least one of those twenty times, and that's how you look at risk when you're a spy. Is you're trying to reduce the number of things that can fail. Um, and as we get into, you know, later in the book, how you use that principle to to make sure that good things happen means that means you have lots of substitutes, you have lots of fallbacks. You're trying not to rely on one single point of failure. And, uh, you know, I make that mistake on that day. I talk about in that book that I, I accidentally created a single point of failure. And uh, I got lucky in <laughs> one sense, but it was a bad, it was a bad plan that I, had, that I had made. And so I set myself up to fail, even though I hadn't, you know, I didn't realize it at the time. And, you know, that was something that I really liked how you handled it. You, uh, you even talked about what it means uh, to br uh, bring down things into a real-life situation and be calculating on the run. Um, you move from laying out all the, you know, all the possibilities or, you know, I was, I was talking to you before, uh, you, you make multivariate uh, statistics and analysis cool <laughs> and how you know you you bring us into your your process of what you were doing it um in the second part of the book where you talk about seeing risk um one of the things that i wanted to get your take on and it, it's this you 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 talk about uh deep understanding deep training um when you're in the field are you getting at uh more of being able to find a way to strengthen your natural instincts or are you relying on the training that you have been practicing kind of like um dr um, erickson talks about with the uh 10,000 hours of deliberate practice which which one are you you really kind of referring to when you talk about that when you were dealing with seeing the risk and then you know working through them on the run you know it, yeah we're all training ourselves every day right and what mm -hmm. we do and you know our the way we react to certain stimuli, the way we make decisions, the way we, you know, collect, even the way we collect data. And it's all a process that 
you know, whether we like it or not, we're training ourselves in every day. And when you're, you know, when you start training as a spy, a lot of the things you're doing there is getting you to shift over to looking at the world differently. You're looking at the world as a spy. You're looking at the world in terms of threats and opportunities. And you're looking at, you're even looking at people differently. You're looking at, you know, when you're not a spy, you're not looking at the border patrol the way I was looking at the border patrol. You're not looking at the taxi drivers the way I was looking at the taxi drivers. You're not looking at people on the street the way I was either because, you know, my training had pushed me to ask a series of questions about all those people in those different situations. And, you know, we are, you know, I, I, I think sometimes I might write a book about training because this is a really important question is how do you shift from the way, you know, you, because we all have been trained. We've been trained in school, we've been trained in university, we've been trained in jobs. We've been trained to think about things in certain ways. And often the way we've been trained is, is depends on the needs of the group, right? Whatever group we're in. Right. Whether we're in a, in a group of fellow students, you know, or for, you know, maybe an engineering major, the way engineers think about things, the way English majors think about things. We've all been trained to think that way. And then you find yourself in a, in a new situation. You move from academia to the corporate world or to the government world. And all of a sudden you got to shift because the group wants you to think about the world differently. And how you make that shift is really important. Can you find the the essence, like you said earlier, of you know how this group is thinking about these problems and how they're collecting data? And that's what I end up doing a lot in my consulting practice. In fact, I was just on the phone with a client who wants me to come in and talk to his management team about understanding their customers. Um, in a more comprehensive way. And the, you know, the strategy book talks about positive sum games and zero sum games. And a big step forward for anybody trying to understand the way other people are thinking is to find those positive sum games that the other side's playing. And then you work backwards to the zero sum games of competition that they'll need in order to get the people or the place or the things that they'll need to make their positive sum game grow and it's hard to really summarize the whole book here in just a few minutes but the the idea is that everybody's in game that you're imagining is a positive sum game you know your even your heaven you know your shangri-la is a positive sum game where people are you know loving each other people are are everybody's winning it's a win-win situation everybody's everybody's happy and then you work backwards to a zero-sum game okay what do i need to to get into that end game what do i need who are the people that i need to be in that game with me what are the resources i need to sustain that game and what where you know what place will it where where will it be? What place will we need? And and obviously the place is more important than political strategy because everybody's always fighting over land. But you know <laughs> yeah. it's still the it's, it's still the case you know in business in the rest of our lives. You know if you're starting a family, there it's going to be a positive sum in game, and you know you probably need a house, so you still need a place. 
for it to happen. And then you need the people and you need the resources in order to sustain your family. I thought that was great that uh, you handled it that way. Um, I did When I did a podcast on that particular one, um, I, I talked about predicting how other people think. I think that was the name of the podcast where I highlighted that book. And I had remembered when I was working in my postgraduate program um, in psychology <laughs> that um, mm-hmm. we read this book called uh, Infinite and Finite Games by Carsey. And you did a, a great job of taking those concepts of the two types of games that people play and bringing them into a workable model of the, the very thing that you were talking about of understanding what game people were playing um, and how to make that you know, work if you needed to shift it, you know, from a zero sum to a positive sum or, or, or however you want it, you needed to do it. And the thing is, I, I really commend you on the way you write uh, because you are really good. And I keep saying that word, really. <laughs> but you're, you're really good at taking people step by step and layering things. Um, I know I keep going back to this, this book on risk um, because I think it's so great. It's, um, it's a fast movement. It's a great read packed with things told within a story format. And I see even more of this, uh, of how to use this thinking, how to discover these types of things. You even have a section in here where you numbered and you said, um, I, w- I had a plan. I needed to meet my contact. Um, I was being hunted. Basically, I was prey and I had to keep moving. And then you move us into a process by giving us a visual of how you were looking at it. And, and I liked uh, the analogy you used of what it takes to have a fire and what firemen or fire persons need to do to take out the fire and how you understand the different variables that are at play and know which ones are necessary to take out so that the other the others that remain can't start or do the destruction that is at hand and then you walked us through that so what i guess i want to ask um more of and it's I guess I'm, t- I'm going to be tying you know risk in with a bit of strategy with a bit of um, the thinking is when it comes down to it uh, understanding the world from uh, a different observational viewpoint um, because you know me st- sitting back and uh, being able to enjoy your story without having the risk it seems so high a hindsight 2020 but what is the, the one wisdom, I guess, or if you have to say more than one, of how to understand what is really going on in your world that's different, that you need to focus on to get done what you need to do? You know, it, it really all starts at the end. It starts at the end. And when you're looking forward, it's easy to see obstacles. It's easy to see problems. It's easy to focus on, you know, what's in the way. But when you start at the end and you really imagine that, and there's a framework in the very back of the strategy book that lays this out more specifically, you're using a different part of your brain. You're using the imagination. You're using the creative part. And then you're, you know, once you've got that set up, then you're reasoning backwards. You're going backwards through all the games you're, you're seeing what's in your way, but you're not, you're just focused on it 
not, not in the same way. Like all your focus. The easy thing about zero sum games, and for everyone who doesn't understand that term, that's you know competition, that's conflict, that's war, that's you know that's sports actually is, is a zero sum game. It's when yeah, someone has someone, to win and someone has to lose. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know our we're hardwired to focus on those situations because they're serious, right? You can lose everything in a zero sum game. But when you're, when your focus is beyond that, when your focus is on the positive sum game, the end game, and then you're working backwards to the zero sum game, then you say to yourself, wait a minute, you know, maybe I don't have to play this particular zero sum game. Maybe I can get what I need by shifting over here and, you know, competing for these resources and, you know, <laughs> in the markets rather than actually going out and trying to take something from someone and conflict. You know, in fact, you could say that, the, you know, just to go big picture, the whole march of civilization is replacing the type of zero-sum games we play. Instead of wars, it's now competition in the marketplace. And, you know, that's what civilization really is. And, but when you work backwards, you start to see this. You start to see that, hang on, you know, I have to play a zero-sum game of some kind. I'm going to have to play, you know, there's competition. Other people want the same things I want. And there's certain things that they're, you know, either I get or they get. There's just no way around the fact it's zero-sum. But how we play that zero-sum game, how we play it, you know, I do have options about that. I also have options about who I play against. And I also have options about how I play that game. And then, you know, just to go one step further back, the typical strategic choice then after that is, okay, what alliance do I build in order to win that game of competition? So you see companies form, you see, you know, people get together in a positive sum game in their company, even though it doesn't always feel like a positive sum game in a company. But it's, you know, the, you band together in order to produce a product that competes against all the other products out there that the consumer then chooses. And when they choose your product or service, then you get into a positive sum game with that person. They pay you for the product or service and they get the benefit of your product or service. So That's once good. you start looking beyond the zero-sum games to the end game, which is positive sum, and then reasoning backwards, then you start to see, hang on, these aren't necessarily even challenges. These are opportunities. These are opportunities that I can go after that, you know, that maybe other people aren't seeing the same way. And... Um, and they're all just pathways to a positive sum game in the end. So I don't need to get upset about it. I don't need to, you know, get all agitated. I can always find a way around it. And then that message really comes through in the risk book because, you know, there are a couple of times in that scenario on that day where, you know, I could have just given up. I could just say, ah, it's just not happening for me today. I like the um, part but, where you talked about asking, uh, you were getting on the, the first, you know, the train, the first train, and you needed a ticket, and the line was long, and you jumped, you know, went directly, and the, the porter or the person uh, had the ability to give you a ticket and told you it was impossible. You just went out and got on the train anyway. 
way. I was like, okay, that's what I'm talking about right there. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, and like I yeah. said, I'm trying not to be giddy, but you have so many gems in this book. Um, even, you know, in that section where you talk about choosing your risk, that was like, Oh my freaking gosh, this is amazing. You, you, you uh, gave us uh, two more, uh, robust stories one of your friend uh who had these bad documents and was basically sitting there looking at people shooting at him with a petrified driver and um then another one where you talk about what we would call the cuban missile crisis and how you had uh looking at it the the zero sum game uh how it played out um and how it really wasn't about what we thought it was about. It was about those Jupiter missiles. Now, I don't want to give everything away, but can you, you know, based on where we were, we were just talking about getting this win-win and this positiveness, uh, can you talk a little bit more about when it comes down to either mitigating or choosing your risk or even controlling the narrative a little bit more with leverage? Uh, can you talk more about that? Yeah, you know, it's, it comes down to how you, really how you structure those risks. And as you look ahead, you know, you see a lot of good things that could happen. You see a lot of bad things that could happen. And when you're looking at the bad things and you're backing up, like in the case of the, the friend of mine who was at the checkpoint who was getting shot at, you know, he had, at the beginning of the day, he had you know, a certain risk because he was in a war zone that this was going to happen. But he had, you know, protected himself. He had, you know, he had certain protection on the vehicle. He, you know, had was supposed to go certain places. There were, you know, you could put percentages on all that exactly, you know, what the overall percentage of, the, of him dying from a, uh, a lethal attack that day would be. But then as you work through all those, and it turns out he did run into the bad guys, and it did turn out they're shooting at him, then what happens? Then you fall back to another thing, which is training. So he fell back to his training, and you know, he kept his head while his driver was, was trying to hide behind the dashboard, which you know, is not a great strategy <laughs> for uh, when people are shooting at you. And uh, you know, he kept his head, and he was ready. He was ready to start the fight. Uh, well, the fight already started, but he was ready to finish the fight, I guess I should say. And, you know, he was prepared. He was trained. And, um, you know, it, it, the psychology of all this is really interesting. You could probably talk a lot about it, Michelle, but he was, he was, uh, he was actually angry that the bulletproof windshield didn't fall because he wanted to shoot the guy. That's how deep his training went. As, as he was upset that, that he couldn't accomplish his task. And when we talk about deep training, you know, that, that's what it is. It's, it's you want to accomplish the task. You want to move through the process because you've trained so many times for this particular moment and you're ready. You're ready for that moment. And just like I was trained for all those decisions I took that day, which I took, which I talk about in the book, you know, once you're, once you're trained up, and, and this is, you know, you hear people talk about this in the professional athletic leagues or, you know, soccer players when they're getting ready to take a, a penalty kick, you know, in the World Cup, 
you can see the guys who are who are mentally ready and those who aren't. You can see those who are trained, and the guys who are mentally ready, they're they want to take the kick. They're ready to go. This is what they've worked for. This is what they trained for. They're ready to go. But then you see the other guys, and they're not there. You know, they're thinking about all the bad things that could happen. They're thinking about you know, oh, the shame if they miss the penalty kick or miss the free throw. They're worried about, you know, all the bad things that could happen. But if you're properly trained, you just want to do the task. You just want to do it. Well, I am, I could, I could go on asking you so many more questions. In uh, the risk book, I, I, like I said before, now, I guess you probably can tell I, I, I love the way people's minds think and you go on to talk more about how to structure your risk i didn't realize you could actually do that <laughs> i didn't really like realize that you could take control of it um we only have a few more minutes uh before uh we we need to to shut this down but what i wanted to do was just give you just a opportunity to tell uh my the audience those that are going to be listening to this uh what it is that they need at this particular time, you know, the, the just nugget, if you will, or the wisdom smack uh, that you'd like to leave them with, with regards to thinking and strategy and risk and all of the other things that help you to do what you do uh, previously for our country and now for private clients and organizations. So what's your wisdom for us? Well, yeah, I, you know, I would just give, people the confidence that they can work through these problems. You know, a lot of these, a lot of these situations, you know, people throw up their hands and they say, I just don't even know where to start. Well, there's, there are a lot of good mental frameworks out there. And these three books talk about three of them, but there are a whole bunch of others. And actually a guy named Shane Parrish at Farnham Street, he collects a lot of these. He collects mental models and and um, talked about them a lot. And so that's where I would go is to encourage your listeners to say, wait, there is a structured way to think about this. I'm not the first person to be in a situation like this. I'm not the first person to have this problem. And, you know, with the Internet and with books, you can you can solve it. You can solve it. And not only that, but if you get the right habits, you can train yourself to solve similar situations in the future and then teach others. You can teach others that, you know, these are things that we can solve if we get the right framework, if we pull the right data together with the right analytics so that we make the right decisions. We might not always be right, but, you know, using a, a framework like we have in the risk book, you can, you can decide beforehand whether you want to go all in or not, you know, you can decide if you want to spread your bets, you want to decide if you want to put everything at risk, you can, you can, you have many more choices than most people think. And, you know, a lot of people in the world will try to convince you that that's not true. <laughs> but, you know, because they're, they're trying to sell their expertise, or they're trying to sell fear, or they're trying to sell, you know, who knows what. But if you, you know, we're all able to make these decisions ourselves. And the frameworks that I talk about just help you get there quicker in a lot of cases. And, yes. <laughs> you know, if you use them right, you can make those decisions 
you can make good decisions. You can you can move forward with your life and not just sit there, you know, stewing about one particular thing. Well, that is such great wisdom, and I'm I'm I actually am like still in awe that I've gotten a chance to even talk with you a little bit today. I want to thank you for joining me um, and sharing some of these insights. And for you guys out there, I want you to do me a solid and go get all of the books. You will be able to get through them fast and they are going to catapult you above and in front of so many other um, things that would take energy away just to try to, fluff you up to make you think you know what you need to. And this is real practical information uh, from someone who is not only teaching, but doing what he does every day. And from my heart, thank you so much, Mr. John Braddock. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have appreciated and enjoyed you so much today. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, Uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.